this girl in a wheelchair. He only flipping walks up to her and goes, can I pray for you? I think once a week with physio, she was able to take two steps in a high Zimmer frame and it was absolute agony. And literally, he goes, get out of the wheelchair, holds her hands and she gets up out of the wheelchair. Wow. And here she is, she was like running across the field, mm. absolutely healed. Welcome everybody, this is Simon Gilbo with Inspired, back for another fantastic week of listening to wonderful stories of nitty gritty faith being worked out in, in challenging circumstances, but overcoming and uh, seeing God at work. And you know, week by week, I'm blown away by, by, by the variety we have. And this week, you are going to be totally inspired, I have no doubt of it. We get bombarded with so much bad news, so get ready to be encouraged so that in, I don't know, 50 minutes time, we, you get back out there uh, after your jog or... Uh, after your drive or wherever you're listening to it uh, back into whatever you're doing and living full on for Jesus so this week we've got Joanne O'Connor with us welcome Joanne hi thank you yeah it's so good to have you I'm really excited uh, our mutual friend Jemima Wright put us in touch but we've we've come across each other a few times over the years uh, can you remember the initial link yeah I can actually it was um it was you Simon you were the guest speaker at a message staff conference and we just found a junction 42 and the staff were all walking through a lot of very challenging situations and we decided to take them to the message day and you were speaking and you spoke with so much honesty about mm. the glory of God's kingdom but yet the personal pain and and struggle comes alongside that and the team were so encouraged by the message that you give because it rang so true to their experience that you know they decided straight away that we were going to support the ministry that you're a part of and I think it just inspired us that it wasn't something we were doing wrong it's just part of the glory is dealing with the mess as well and so I just we just like connected in that sort of way so ever since then we've you know we've been getting your meal shots and sort of understanding the story of your ministry and what God's, the journey God's had you on. So mm, yeah, thank brilliant. you for your life and the testimony of it. Mm, real pleasure. That's encouraging to hear. So listen, let's go way back. I mean, you're from Northern Ireland. Did you have the typical Irish, Northern Irish uh, religious education? Um, Kind of and kind of not. Like I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Um, my parents were Presbyterian, but like Sunday attendance sort of thing, but they weren't overly strict or, you know, from the age of 14, I was pretty much allowed to make my own decisions. And, you know, that was relationships, alcohol, club, whatever. My parents sort of were very good at letting me make up my own mind. So it wasn't really until I got in trouble that I've sort of investigated who God was really. So, yeah, I was aware of God and always believed in God but didn't actually really know him, you know. Yeah. So what age did you have that encounter? Well, I was 18 and it was about two weeks after a New Year's Eve party and a contract of meningitis, like oh. quite seriously. So it's kind of funny now, but because of New Year's Eve, I don't know whether this is normal or everywhere else, but, you know, you sort of kiss as many boys as you could. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically... Because it was within 14 days that I contracted it, it was like in the front pages of like the Belfast Telegraph, if you'd like kissed me on New Year's Eve, oh, that you wow. had to go and get yourself tested. It was horrendous. <laughs> but anyway, all joking aside, I was really quite ill. And I can remember, um, you know, it, it was very serious. The the minister came in with all his dark you know, robes and all of that. And I was in so much pain and in so much agony 
And I, I just prayed that prayer that's like, God, if you're really, really real, I promise. Like I thought it was all about being good then. I was like, I promise I'll be good. I promise that, that I'll live for you and all of this. And like I woke up the next morning and I was like totally like full of joy and all my pain had gone. Mm. And it was just, I, may, I knew it was God. I absolutely knew it was God, but I didn't say anything to anyone. All right. So what were the next steps? <laughs> well, the next steps is I just went back to doing what I always did, you know, the whole thing. I just I kind of ignored it. And then I realized that loads of people felt really sorry for me because they thought I'd nearly died and all of this. So I just took off loads of school and then it came to my A-levels. And I, I didn't want to be in Northern Ireland anymore, not because anything was wrong with it, but I was ready to go to university to kind of experience something new. But I realized that I hadn't done the school that I needed in order to get the grades that I needed to go to uni. Mm -hmm. So again, I just prayed and prayed and was like, God, please, again, if you're real, please help me. I'll go to any uni that you want me to go to. Uh, I promise I'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) I did the whole thing again. And what's phenomenal is the grades that I got were higher than I was even predicted before. Wow. And like, and it's, it's interesting because I'm dyslexic and I chose English literature and I really struggled like I chose it before I knew I was dyslexic and I really struggled and I got the highest grade in that class. Wow. <laughs> so just all this stuff and I got all these awards for how amazing I was and stuff and inside my heart I felt like such a fraud because I was like, I know, I know it wasn't me and I genuinely say that everyone, you know, and again, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone that I'd prayed or what had happened really, but in my heart I was storing it all up and knew and it was freaking me out how real God was. All right. So you went to the mainland. Where did you go to university? Newcastle University. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was amazing. And what was mental is everywhere I go, there were Christians. There were just Christians everywhere. It was like I couldn't, you know, Psalm 139 says, where can I flee from your presence? <laughs> like, I was a little bit like, I couldn't go and get drunk and fresh as fuck without there being a Christian. <laughs> like, seriously, it was like, and it really, really aggravated me. I was so annoyed. And I was like, God, I can't get away from you. And I knew I'd made promises in my heart. But yeah. long story short, someone agreed that they would go to this club where you got shots for 10p if I went to the oh, Christian Union yeah, with yeah. them. And he was kind of good looking, so I went. And then, do you know what? An evangelist was there. And he said this one phrase. He said, everyone believes in God. Now, what did he say? He says, even the devil believes in God, but it's not about believing in God. It's about living for God. And my heart was torn in two. Because I was like, oh, God, I always believed in you. And I thought that that was enough. And I think it was just the revelation of like, oh, my gosh, even the devil believes in God. Mm. So what... You know, and that for me was the the crux of a real turning point. And for about a week, I was like, I knew how real it was, but I knew how much it would be my whole life, not just like a little phase. So I spent a week working out whether it's what I wanted to do or not. And before I told anyone, and then whenever I made, you know, whenever I decided it's what I wanted to do, then I started telling people. And, you know, I'd lived... I was sort of friends with a lot of people that I knew it wouldn't be conducive to be friends with and doing a lot of stuff. So it was, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a life changing experience, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. And your personality wise, basically once you're all in, you're all in. Yeah. I would say that I'm pretty much like an extremist in that. 
Mm-hmm. But, yeah. <laughs> so, so you had three years there, did you? And were you just flat out leading people to the lawn? <laughs> well, do you know what? It did surprise me that if God was who he said he was and he was as real, that people didn't like tell other people just as, you know, easily. And to be fair, I'd, I used to just get frustrated a lot because I used to think, like I would go to church and I would love church and love the people in the church, but I, I used to think, oh my gosh, God so cares about those outside of these walls that he's more real than we could dream of. And then I was fueled by Jackie Pullinger's book, Chasing the Dragon. Mm. And I was like, right, this is, you know, my whole thing was, especially coming from Northern Ireland, that God isn't who we make him out to be sometimes. He's yeah. not he, He's not just this do-gooder, but he's passionate about making himself real in people's lives. So whenever I'd read that book, it was like I was ruined. I was like, God, if you can do this in Hong Kong, you can do this in this country. Yes. I want to see it. Come on. So I, I was... Whenever I was going to uni, I was really involved, like I was part of the CU and they, they do this thing every three years called Missions Week. So I was like, right, I am going to, you know, I'd read in the Bible about them doing debates and stuff. So I was like, right, I am going to ask a lecturer from the university who's like a complete atheist, evolutionary psychologist, and we're going to do a debate. Is God real or is he psychological? Because all my lectures, he was saying the God delusion, God's mm. a delusion. So I was like, okay, we're just going to debate this. So put up posters, did all the shebang. And um, I didn't quite have someone to argue for the God side, but I was like, God, I'm sure you'll provide that person. But anyway, hundreds of people signed up for it. They had to move the lecture theatre to a bigger one in the med school. Mm -hmm. But at that time, someone from Youth for Christ came to help support the mission. Mm -hmm. So he had come and I was, you know, a little bit feisty with him because I didn't feel like he was helping me as much as what he possibly could have. So at the end of this sort of honesty conversation, he turned around to me and said, have you ever thought about going into prisons? And mm. I was like, um, no, but that sounds quite cool. So that was the start. He, um, he asked me to volunteer. So the last two years in my uni, I was really, uni was a way to sort of pay and support for the beginnings of what I did, which was going to prisons and just... It was amazing, really. For the first time, I could just see the manifestation of God like I knew in my heart was was real and true. Uh, just before we move on to prison stuff, just how did the debate go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was really good. It wasn't like there was a winner of the debate at the mm. end. It was just really good to feel comfortable. I guess that's what the Alpha course does now, isn't it? It's like to feel comfortable letting people have their say and letting other people let you have your say yeah. and just giving people in the Holy Spirit space to, to form that. So I just think it was just beautiful to be able to have that conversation without getting into arguing or conflict. So it was, yeah, it was beautiful, very well attended. So Yeah, well done. And uh, I suppose it's, it's uh, inklings of your, you know, your gifts at mobilizing and getting people stuck in. Uh, now... <laughs> I'm thinking, so it's interesting, isn't it, that guy that you didn't necessarily get on very well with you was was God's tool for speaking into your life at prisons. Now, you've been all about prisons all the way. Uh, Junction 42, do you want to, straight away, do you want to give us an introduction about what, what that is? Yeah, so Junction 42 exists to see the lives of offenders and their communities visibly transformed by the gospel. So we're all about seeing the kingdom of God made manifest in people's lives, um, offenders because people aren't just offenders 
in prison, they get out and their dads and fathers and brothers and sisters and boyfriends mm-hmm. of communities. And so we understand that if their lives transform, when they come out, they're radical for Jesus and their whole families end up coming to faith. So that's why, you know, we're all about not just offenders, but it's about seeing whole communities transformed by the gospel. Mm, beautiful. And how did you, you know, what were the steps of that coming into, into being? Well, to be honest, like the thing is, is Junction 42 is amazing now, you know, we're serving the nation, reaching, you know, a quarter of the prison population every three months. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. But it's really humble beginnings because when I graduated, I really felt like God said he didn't want me to go and get like a professional graduate job, which was really painful for me because my parents had basically spent all their life working so I could leave university debt free without you know, I worked and things, but they had paid everything for me because they left school at 14, 15. And so we were first generation university, you know. And so for me as a woman, especially to go have the chance to be educated and then at the end of that to turn around and say, oh, I think God's not calling me into that mm-hmm. was a huge thing for me to have to talk to them about Um and the thing is, is the Youth for Christ didn't have a job for me that was paid. They talked about this thing called living by faith, which I didn't fully understand. And really, but I felt God call me into it. And so it sort of started with me saying, God, if this is really you, then you're going to have to walk with me. And what's interesting is, is it was like it was full of my worst nightmares, if I'm really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one was having to tell my parents that. The second one was the only available opportunity at that time was in the female prison. They wanted a dance instructor. <laughs> now, the, the two things that I hear is music and dance. Like even whenever I was like as drunk as a skunk, I wouldn't get on the dance floor. <laughs> so I was like, God, are you having a laugh? I felt really all my volunteering was done in the male prison. I felt really comfortable with, with working with men. I'd never been in a female establishment before. And then the idea that what, like, the thing I was called to do for free and have to live in, you know, whatever God provided was doing a dance class. So I was, like, absolutely beside myself. (laughs) But anyway, I felt like God say, you know, Joanne, I don't want you to be a teacher. I want you to facilitate them. And I really learned what it was to facilitate others and not feel in charge and in control all the time. Mm So I went in, and I mean, the women, whenever you first work with women in prison, they are, you know, they are a tough audience. So whether it's what I looked like, what dress, the music I brought, but, you know, long, you know, I guess there's a massive story behind it, but God really showed up. And the thing is, is I just took in a little CD player and those women created a dance crew and they danced and they set up like they did tours of the prison. And to this day, they still don't know that I can't dance. Brilliant. Because oh. I just let them lead it. Yeah. And and I guess the thing is, is whether it was finances, whether it was the thing that I was doing, like I literally had nothing. And one day parents had said, we're not financially supporting you to do this. You have to make your own way in the world. I had nothing. Someone had given me a car. There was no petrol in the car to get to prison. You know, I had nothing. And I can remember saying, God, I have had enough. I am going to drive this car to the prison, knowing there wasn't enough petrol in the car. And whenever it stops I'm going to get out and I'm going to phone someone and tell my mum and dad to come and pick me up because I can't live like this anymore Mm. and I left my little flat and I was walking to the car and tears were streaming down my face because I felt like 
I was all in this, God. I trusted you. Where are you? Yeah. And I just, I was walking to the car and this woman walked past me and said, oh, I, I knew her husband. She was like, oh, Juan, can I chat to you? And I was like, all right. I was like, what are you doing here? And she goes, oh, I walked past. I dropped my bank card. I'm looking for a bank card. And she says, oh, look, me and my husband have just received some money. And we just really felt like we wanted to tithe it to you. Uh, Is that, would beautiful. that be okay? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. And so this is the honest truth. She's writing out a check for like 100 quid or something there and then. And this is what I said to God in my head. I went, God, that check's going to take so many days to clear. That's not going to get me to prison. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt God say, just take it to the bank. So I got in the car, drove to the bank and took the check. And the woman just looked at me and went, do you want it, do you want it in a counter cash? And I was like, oh, I'll have it in cash. Thank you very much. Brilliant. And so I just, like, I talk about all of that stuff because I just think sometimes God brings us to nothing to show us yeah. that he'll always turn up. And then everything that you do from that point is you just have this faith that you know that you know that God will never let you down. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love talking to people like you because it just reminds me as well of, you know, um, as a pioneer, I had I've got those same stories, and it's like you're mm. just to the edge, and look, you've <laughs> got to do it, and it happens, and, and you know you're on track, but but you've got to put in those hard yards at the beginning, haven't you? Yeah, it's like God allows you to come to the end of yourself, you know, all your own resources, all your own ideas, all your own abilities. And then I think he shows you how real he is. Mm. It's a painful process. Like. Yeah, yeah. So it was just you at the start and you did your dance class. You fooled them there. What next? <laughs> well, we had, I, I was actually doing that as part, like, as part of a team under Youth for Christ. And right. then what happened is that the prisons re-rolled so that instead of just having young offenders, the prisons had like majority adults. And so we've been asked to go in more and more prisons and they were, you know, all ages. So we discussed things with Youth for Christ. They had taken the model of what we'd done in the Northeast National under a banner called Reflex. So the Message Trust were doing a prison's work under the same banner. Mm-hmm. Youth for Christ nationally were. Um, but in the Northeast, because we were working in all the prisons and it was all adults, it was disingenuous to stay as a youth charity because we're having to get more and more qualified to work in the prisons and more and more niche. Right. Um, so over a two-year period, we we became our own charity out of a department. So that was when Junction 42 was formed. There was five of us that kind of effectively moved out of the department and set up Junction 42. And so it specifically meant that we could. And the other thing is, is we'd started planting churches alongside churches at that time. So the whole remit of what we'd done was like massive mm. and it needed its own kind of governance structure and Things, yeah. So. Yeah. Why do you call it so, Junction Forty Two? <laughs> um, well, Forty Two is from Isaiah Forty Two, and mm. interestingly, not because of what it says about prisoners, but because there's a bit that talks about being a covenant to the people, and one of our fundamental beliefs is that God. When you look at missions, we believe that the covenant to the people means a visible sign of hope of God's promises. And when you work in what we work in, we always believe it's not us. Like I've grown up like, you know, with privilege in the life, education in the countryside with beautiful parents. Sometimes we can think it's us that goes and shares the good news, but God will always raise up people from the culture. Yeah. And they are visible signs of hope. And then what you see beyond that is like mass change and mass, you know, 
sort of evangelism and establishment of communities. And, and so I guess we absolutely believe that everywhere that you go, God will always send someone as a covenant to the people, a visible sign of what it looks like for a heroin addict to become a Jesus follower or, you know, a drug dealer or someone who's homeless. So someone can look and say, that is who God is because I can see it in them. Yeah. I can see what God's done. It's not just me telling them. So that's where Isaiah 42 became so prominent. And Junction is people... You know, your back journey is also part of your future. And we're all new men and women and all of that. But actually, we recognize that where someone's been is quite often where God takes them. Yeah. And it's part of that story and testimony. So Junction talks about a different destination, but we don't take away the story. It's not something that's hidden with shame. It's really important that we recognize where people have been. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, a, we don't want to glorify the darkness, but we also want to acknowledge what's there, the scars that people have and what God's done with those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just on your website this morning and looking at some of the videos you put together and, you know, tears come to my eye when I, because I don't know their stories, but I know their stories sort of thing. You know, the serious <laughs> brokenness when they say that you're always there for us, uh, your family. I, I, I love that stuff. Can you give us some, you know, some some of the juicy stories that just make you think we're on track. This is beautiful. Yeah. So like I said about Isaiah 42, um, you know, what I love in Isaiah 61 is it says, and they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Mm-hmm. And what I absolutely love is the stories of when not, you know, we see, honestly, we just see so many men and women come to faith and experience Jesus. And, you know, people who were big drug dealers, giving it all up and set up food banks. And, you know, just those amazing stories that you just would not believe yeah. unless you met the people. Mm-hmm. But I guess the, the, one of the stories that always sticks out for me that, uh, I quite like is you see when when our men and women come to faith they tend to be quite extreme yeah. in their faith you know they're quite literal with what god says as well so because sometimes it's quite interesting taking them to what would be like a conventional kind of christian event mm-hmm. so one summer whenever there was lots of christian festivals on well this was just before covid we took one we took a big bunch of our men and women to like a christian festival we're camping you know and it, it was all amazing and things and um uh, so the the first thing that was really interesting is is our men and women they're very um expressionate in their worship to jesus like you know but they always stand at the back to do it mm-hmm. so the first thing that sort of started sticking out is is whenever the stewards came to us and were just like you know um you're you're a little bit um, exuberant in your worship. It's a bit distracting, <laughs> and it was funny. So they walked. Sorry, they walked up. Uh, this is to my shame. They walked up to me and went, "Are you the leader?" And I pointed to my husband and went, "No, he is," because <laughs> I knew what was coming. And then they said, "They said to him, oh, it's you know, it's a bit exuberant, and you know, we've had a few complaints. It's a bit distracting.'" And he was like, "Oh, what a funny thing to say. The worship is too exuberant," and. You know, and he just, he just, he just refused to apologize for like how they were worshiping Jesus, and you know they weren't just. It wasn't like they were doing this during the word or anything like this. So hmm. they went away, and the next day the stewards apologized and stuff. But the point I'm making is, is they just, they, they weren't fitting in from the start. Not that we would want them to fit in. Well, maybe I would a little bit because then it would be less embarrassing for me. But hmm. um, then. So the next the next day, um, there's like people are praying and these guys are, you know, 
people are praying for these our guys and stuff and one of the people praying said to this guy they were like I just believe you love Jesus so much you're going to lay hands on people and see them come out of wheelchairs and you know all of that stuff and I was like oh yes Lord that would be amazing so literally after the little prayer time we go you know the marketplace it's at these Christian sort yeah, of yeah. things and it's you know where there's book sales and you know it's not exactly the super spiritual moment is it well anyway we're walking through there and there's this girl in a wheelchair he only flipping walks up to her and uh-huh. goes, can I pray for you? And I'm like a dying inside going, oh my gosh, this is just a horror story we all hear about. Oh, it's just probably offended. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm dying here inside. Again, you know, going, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And literally he goes, get out of the wheelchair, holds her hands and she gets up out of the wheelchair. Wow. And then this guy is a really good looking guy. So in my mind, I'm thinking, Maybe she doesn't, you know, maybe she's just one of those people that gets tired, you know, and needs a wheelchair occasionally. And, you know, he's just good looking and she's responded. And, you know, in my mind, everything was kind of thinking, let's not get too carried away here and let's see what's happening and things. And then she sort of walks and it's like, it's all on video and stuff because they're all, you know, it's, <laughs> this is what I said, it was the most unspiritual moment ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like at the front after worship time or anything. It's just like my daughter's there with her big mouth open. Someone's got the camera out videoing yeah. it all. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be one of those horror shows. Um, anyway, that that kind of happened and I, um, everyone's going, oh, this is amazing. It's amazing. And then we just sort of walk away and go to our camp. And I'm still thinking, oh my gosh, what was that is people going to come to me and say you know the little girl felt pressured and all of this and I'm trying to work out all the safeguarding things around it and um as we're walking this woman comes running over to us mental like waving and um basically it's the girl's mother and she turns around and the girl had never you know I think once a week with physio she was able to take two steps in a high zimmer frame and it was absolute agony mm-hmm. and all she kept saying is, is what is her granda gonna say he dropped her off in a wheelchair and here she is she was like running across the field oh, beautiful. like absolutely Come healed on. and I just I could have fell to my knees in repentance if I'm mm-hmm. honest because I felt yeah. God forgive us who yeah I was like God here was me thinking that I had to protect this whole camp from these men and women. But going back to what I was saying about Isaiah 61, you see, what I believe about the radicals that I don't think that we understand is is they are a gift to the church because they have an understanding of who God is because they've understood that God delivered them from heroin. And they understand that without too much theological debate, that, that if he set them free from heroin, from homelessness, from all of this, then he's able to heal. He's yeah. able to do this supernatural stuff. And to my shame, I wish it was me that had the great faith, but I stand and watch them pray for each other and see what God does. And I am astounded and amazed. And I guess that is the beauty of what I see. And I just see it there in Isaiah 61. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, the people who have understood what it is to have their hearts healed, their brokenness restored. And so that's, I guess, that's my passion. Isn't just that someone comes to God and gets a job and gets married and has an amazing story, but to understand that they are a gift and they are so supernaturally gifted by God. You know, and it's all that stuff that Jackie Pullinger writes about. You know, you pray for someone and they've got the gift of tongues and they have no idea what it is. They haven't even read about it in the Bible, Mm. you know, and you're having to explain. Um, You know, and one of the most common, this is the reality of the ministry we walk in, you know, when we pray for people, who are desperate to receive God, one of the most common phrases that we hear 
is like effing hell. What yeah. was that? Yeah. And then they go, oh my gosh, they've realized what they've said. And we've just got so used to saying, well, let's just curse hell as we enter heaven. Yeah. You know, don't worry, because they obviously realize what's happened. But yeah. the physical manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit coming into their life tends to be so intense that they know that they know that God is real. Yeah, yeah. I love it that you um, you see as part of your job, don't you? It's just, just to, through testimony to show the church in England or in the West, I suppose, that it's not just in Africa, it's not just in Bible times that God mm-hmm. is doing dramatic stuff. Um, you know, can, yes. can you share, share more stories of what's gone on like that? Well, do you know what's really interesting is is that the 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 whole ministry is full of stories like that like a week doesn't go by when we're chatting about like what god has done mm-hmm. but what is really interesting is is equally it's like we call it the not so glory glory story simon and i sure. guess one of the things that i think is is you know equally we're seeing people healed or these miraculous things happen or people speaking in tongues or you know having these really specific prophetic things and all of this stuff is amazing and it's really interesting to walk in that intensity We've still been to more funerals with kids and uh, and death and pain than we'd ever care to. Do you know, yeah. it's like the rawness. And, and I always say, you know, what's interesting is it is great to hear the stories of what God's doing and they are totally supernatural and reveal the kingdom of God. But what I think is the bigger story sometimes is, is when you see a whole family come into faith when you see families restored where dads you know Mm. murdered mom and the kids have forgiven dad and and they've all come into the kingdom and that you know what what we just see what what the biggest miracles that i see is like again i'll give you a specific example of this is you know dad's a drug dealer money lender you know he's really suicidal turns to god he's estranged from his daughter um because when through his money lend and drug dealing, she was in the high chair whenever she was a baby and someone came and looking for him shot through the window and it sort of pierced through the side of her head. Mm-hmm. So she grew up kind of estranged from her dad and actually really, you know, resenting who her dad was. She had dropped out of school, just smoking weed all the time. When dad comes to God, he then reconciles to family. His daughter starts going to church. She forgives dad. And then she, you know, after a lot of years, she goes to university and then she goes to Durham to study theology and in a master's. Wow. And now, now she's married and her kids have no idea yeah. of who their granda was or who their uncle is still, you know, yeah. because that crime still. And, and it's just this intergenerational change that's happening within families. And then, you know, there's pictures of them baptizing their nieces and nephews and, you know, just these en masse family sort of restoration stories that are still in progress because, you know, you might have 50% of the family in the kingdom and the other 50% still dealing drugs and (laughs) doing that. So this beauty of generations are changed. um, And that is a big, you know, someone going and getting healed is one thing and that's amazing, but starting to see that, you know, that not only has her life changed through what her dad did, but her daughter, who's just been born, is never going to know any of that pain and suffering yeah. that she knew growing up. So mm. that is the bigger story. And I just think it's the it's the beauty of God that, yeah. you know, extends beyond generations. And it's it's a lot longer term than what we have in our minds sometimes. Yeah, yeah. 
Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging, inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or, or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast So you, you, I mean, you married, John was a prisoner himself, your, your husband, wasn't he? Yes. What's the so, story there? So, do you know one of our read Jackie Pullinger's book? This is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I started working in prisons. I was so loving it. I was like, God, I do not want to get married. <laughs> but I was struggling with stuff in my life. Like, you know, we're all, you know, we're all on a journey, aren't we? So I was kind of a bit like, I went into ministry quite quickly when I became a Christian. So it's just like, God, there's, you know, some stuff just left me straight away. And, you know, I'm struggling with this stuff. And I don't think I have your Holy Spirit, God, because if I had your Holy Spirit, then I would be able to speak in tongues and I would be able to not struggle with this stuff in my life. So it's really grappling with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can remember these two things were the two things that said to God, I wasn't getting married and I didn't have the Holy Spirit. And then I went to church on a Sunday and the, there was this international prophet, Jean Darnell, was there. And I'd never seen this sort of thing before. And all these people were queuing. I was like, oh, my gosh, she's like 80. And all these people are, like, expecting her to pray for her. I was like, no one's offered to pray for her. It's like, this is how green I was around, like, what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I waited to the whole queue gone. And then I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. No one's offered to pray for you. And the, this woman just grabs me and she says, the Holy, the Lord has just told me you're full of the Holy Spirit and the man that you're going to marry is like, blah, 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 blah. Wow. And I could have dropped on the floor because I was like, oh my gosh, she knew what I was praying to God. Yeah. <laughs> so I started pondering that with God and I was like, okay, God, if I am going to get married, which I don't want to do because I'm really liking this me and you thing. But if I'm going to get married, then I better start praying for who that person is because I just don't want anyone. I want someone who loves you with all their heart and they're not going to stop me from doing what we're doing here because I'm loving it. Um, and then I really, just as I prayed every day, I'd be like, Lord, I pray, you know, that they'd be hearing you. I just really felt the Holy Spirit say to me, how do you know he's even saved? Hmm. So then I started praying for my husband's salvation. I was like, God, I pray and meet with you, you know, all of this. And then I, I started praying that there'd be like this sort of sliding doors moment of like, God, I don't mind if I have to wait for my husband, but I just pray that, you know, I would have this story of me meeting him before I knew he was even going to be my husband, just as a chance encounter. That would be kind of cool. And so that was sort of my prayer. And then anyway, time went on and um, I was working in prisons. Rah, 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 rah. There was a girl that was living with um, over the summer she um, she was in town one time and she'd met this guy who'd just got out of prison, who's a Christian, 
and he didn't have anything. And she says, oh, you can have my bike. And she brought him back to the flat. And anyway, I was in the kitchen whenever she brought this guy in and he was about, you know, six stone, one tooth missing, big present cross around his neck and everything. <laughs> but he started to tell me a story about how he was a heroin addict, how he met with Jesus supernaturally in a cell. And lit- like now I know, literally, he met with Jesus in that exact time that I was praying for my husband to get saved. Wow. Now, if you'd have told me on that day that that was going to be my husband, I would have cracked up you know, because that, but I was mesmerized with the story and was thinking you really need to share your story with people that I'm working with in prisons and stuff. I'd love to get it and stuff. And he was just kind of like, oh, well, if God tells me to do that, I'll do that. And then he was gone and that was it. It wasn't for years later that I met him again. And God had clearly, you know, at that moment, he did look like someone, a drug addict who'd just met Jesus. (laughs) You know, like every, if you seen him in the street, you'd be kind of like, he's going to pinch my wallet. You know, there was no visible sign outside of, you know, he just looked like, you know, the clothes he was wearing, his demeanor, he was so skinny. Then whenever I met him years later, he like visibly was completely different. You could just tell what God had done him. He was holding his head up, he had eye contact, like he'd got his teeth fixed, he put some weight on, he looked really good. (laughs) Um, But both of us met because he was helping people, friends of his who wanted to come to God. And I was obviously helping people. So our paths kind of crossed and our ministry and heart was the exact same. So that's, you know, kind of, how we met and yeah Yeah. he you know he's got his own businesses and stuff like that but he heads up all the like all the stuff to do with the churches because we plant we work with churches in the UK to have what we would call missional communities for the marginalized these men and women from the extremes not to be some sort of ghettoized church but to help the church let them form a church with their their culture which is very expressionate and passionate and you know, extreme in that sense of letting them be who they are, but the church being in that space with them and things. So he heads up that called the Connect Network across the country. So. Brilliant. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, and he supports you fully. He's, he's happy with you mainly being involved in with men in ministry. <laughs> yeah. And I think because of his story and, you know, the thing is, is his story is phenomenal. When he was 11, he's seen his dad murder his mum. Um, you know, and then, you know, he lost his dad to prison and his mum obviously was dead. He was in and out of care on drugs. You know, he understands the story and he knows if he hadn't heard about Jesus, he'd be dead by now. Yeah. And so I think it's not something that he just supports me. And I think it's like, if it wasn't, I think it's who we are. It's, he's just so amazing. Like he's so passionate about prayer an intercession he's just got so much spiritual wisdom and discernment mm. and and so it's i guess it's not what we do it's kind of who we are yeah. you know yeah it's who we are as a couple it's you know then that's sort of you know in our lives as well because obviously he's part of a family that have come from that background and he's got a father that he's had to forgive he's got brothers and sisters who are working out the pain of that so it's i guess what we do is who we are yeah. and an extension of that so. mm, yeah i love um hearing you i was listening to you talking to uh, roy crown and, and the sort of creative stuff that you've got going in the prisons share some of that yeah so uh, I guess before COVID, we were mainly just based in the northeast of England, working in the prisons there and in Edinburgh prison. And then in COVID, um, we we do creative engagement 
um, because I don't believe in just going in and doing faith. The thing is, is I'm passionate about those that would never see themselves as being interested in God or what God's got to do with them. Mm-hmm. So even in a prison context, I'm not interested in just going in and doing something the chaplaincy. I want to go and be where the men and women were on the wings. Like, you know, because unless in prison, unless you choose to go to one of the groups, then you don't go there because you can't just walk around a prison. So um, we do we do creative engagement, which basically means that we work with the men and women and we find out what they're passionate about um, and we help them. It's the same as what we do with the church, really. We let them and facilitate them to create things to empower them and they re- something magical happens in that space. So things that we've done is we worked in a prison where there was no provision for Afro hair, we got someone in to teach the men how to do each other's hair and the whole thing changes the culture of the prison because all these young men are starting to touch each other, they're trusting each other and instead of the expert coming in and doing it for them, mm, we're teaching them beautiful. how to do it for themselves yeah. and that breaks down all that anger and hatred and yeah. brings in trust and and you know, with women, it's, we did handmade cards that could personalize them. So when they're sending messages to their children, it could have the children's name on, and then they're making them for each other and setting up micro businesses. So it's just expressions of the kingdom in very practical ways. But through that, mm. the God story is in that, and then people, you know, come to faith. Mm. Oh, got cheesy grin, sort of smiling. I just love, you know, because I just imagine it. It's giving people dignity and value and purpose in prison. And, and there's, there's so much good coming out of that. And go on, give us some stories. of. of I remember you tell the story to Roy about this, this lady coming to faith, getting a pack. Oh, yeah. So what we, what we learned in that creative engagement, whenever, whenever COVID hit, um, we used our expertise and we created these in-cell packs. Mm-hmm. And so that we called them faith packs or stories of hope packs. And in it, there was like a word for the day. So they'd have 90 days of Bible reading. There was um, uh, a prayer journal with 90 days. Because the thing about, like we, we understand the term neurodiverse now, but um, one of the things that happened, the men and women that we work with are very much like Peter's in the Bible. They're very concrete. It's like, Jesus, if you can do that, so can I. <laughs> One minute and the next minute, they might be slicing someone's ear off. But, you know, <laughs> um, they're just very concrete. And, you know, if you're into education and stuff, you'd understand they're very kinesthetic learners. They learn on the job. And so one of the things we realized with prayer is, is that I thought people would never be into journaling, but, you know, Praying, like an audio, an audio, like using your voice to pray is conceptual. It's like, it's not concrete, but if you write your prayer down, it's real. Mm-hmm. So we put these prayer journals in and these men and women are like prayer warriors. As soon as you can write your prayers down, because it's real once it's written, mm-hmm. because I can see it. And then there's a wee box to take whenever it's answered. There's a worship CD in there. And then there's a creative activity um, to engage with. And that's why people always want the packs. So just as a general about the packs is that just, we thought it was a miracle going for 12,000. So every three months, we're now producing 20,000 of these packs. Brilliant. We're 94% of prisons and we are actively reaching 25% of the prison population oh, every three months. Now that is a complete miracle. Yeah. And alongside that, we're putting um, actual audio, like music, not music, um, videos, Mm-hmm. of people's stories on the incel TV systems as well. So just this beautiful story. But what that means on an individual level is, 
like there's there's I guess there's loads of stories, but one story is is that sometimes chaplains use the packs for induction. So whenever someone comes in, they're particularly you know, big shocks to systems that can be detoxing from drugs and stuff. And this woman in a prison was given one of these packs um, on her induction, but she'd actually planned that she was going to commit suicide and she had it all planned out how it was going to happen. And then whenever she got the pack and she opened it up, she started to visibly feel the love of God Mm. and like put on the worship music and like literally experienced the Holy Spirit in that cell through that pack yeah. and she started reading the word and and worshiping and writing her prayers down and we don't know any of this is happening because obviously it's just happening with her and Jesus and then she's like tr- we come across her because she's transferred prisons and one of our workers is on the wing in the prison and she like comes up to him and goes right can you get me the alpha course because I'm going to run the alpha course and he's like hold on what's you know what's the story and it turns out that as she met Jesus, she was like, everyone else has to know about this. So she had set up her own alpha course on the wing and she was running it, telling all the other women about Jesus. (laughs) And just that understanding of, you know, the mustard seed and the spread that's, you know, this isn't about me having, you know, a hundred alpha groups and trying to get staff to run it. It's like when the gospel is so real in someone's heart, they can't help but tell everyone around them. And that's what I'm saying is these women and men would never see themselves as expert prayers or expert evangelists. But whenever you go in, that's what you see, that they're praying for each other, that they they understand the realness and concreteness of God, which sometimes I think we've lost. Yeah. Oh, I'm loving thinking of 20,000 packs being used daily (laughs) on rotation. I know, amazing, yeah. Keep it up. Uh, Have you got enough money? Do you want some more money? Oh, always could do with money. This is, and this is, the, do, do you know what's interesting in COVID? This is the honest truth. We had reserves and I felt like the Lord said, don't you dare shut down. We took over the church and we basically said, whatever it takes, our mission is to see this. We have this opportunity. And we said, we will take every penny we have and invest it in this, just trusting yeah. that God's in that. And do you know what? Even if after two years, it meant that Junction 42 shut down, I would have felt like, our mission was complete, mm. you know, sharing the good news with every prisoner in the UK. I was like, God, the fruit. Can you Seriously. imagine? Even if one tenth of those people came to God, mm. it's like it's f- fundamentally going to change the country. That's my belief. Oh, well, absolutely. You know, so anyway, we've kind of been doing the whole thing in faith. Now we've got to that stage where we're kind of like, right, God, we could do it. it co- the literal cost of that is £165,000 a year. Right. Because it's 80,000 packs. So if anyone did fancy sponsoring a pack, then that would be kind of cool. Yeah, go on. Um, How do we do it? How do we do it? (laughs) Well, you can donate on our webpage, junction42.org. But more than that, do you know what? I really want to encourage people, if I was to say anything as a fruit of this, is that once you make yourself available for God and open the doors and let other people in, they do come. Yeah. And so if you're part of a church and you have a real passion to see those in the margins come to God, then do talk to us. We'd love to support you to set up a community where people can come and be part of the family. And you yourself will be so blessed and so encouraged by their faith. Mm. And we just think that is our passion is to work with the church, to see these men and women know that they belong they've always belonged yeah and that 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 they're not just social action projects for us to clean up but they're actually a gift to us yeah 
Joanne, I'm just loving this. Maybe we're running out of time. Maybe a couple more questions. But what do you think or what do you believe God is is doing with those in prison and on the margins? Yeah, but I guess it's just like what I said before. I absolutely believe that these men and women have got, they've got so much to teach us. Mm. And I think the reality of God in the West has probably been lost in amongst us and our identity and whether it's theology or the debates or hot potatoes of the day. I just think when I see what God is doing, he sees these men and women as the kings and queens that that I believe in the next five years, like we are going to see something very much like what we've seen with the Salvation Army, that there's going to be a move of God of those in the margins all over this country where the, 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 that we are not going to be able to deny the reality of faith in their lives because mm-hmm. all they have is Jesus and they will literally stand up for Jesus. They will not be ashamed of Jesus and they will yeah. not be ashamed of the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so even if you look at the numbers, and if you think about the, the, the amounts of people who the gospel's reaching, and like I said before, even if one-tenth of them come to faith now, you work the maths, and then you work that maybe it takes three years for someone to be, you know, to get the word of God, for that, that visible sort of transformation to start happening in their life, for them to be grounded. So I reckon in the next three to five years, we will see an unprecedented move in the church of men and women who it's going to be like the disciples where they go, where have they come from? Who has schooled them because they're unlearned men? But they will, the interesting thing about the men and women, even though the literacy levels in prison are shown to be quite low, they absolutely devour the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Memorize it. They know it. So, yeah, that's what I see in the next three to five years. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got my heart thumping in agreement <laughs> and ch- my spirit chiming with that. Listen, um, any, any last thing you want to say before we call it a day? No, I just, my passion is, look, the gospel is more real than we care to believe that it is. And when we're not ashamed of it, we do see the power of it at work. And it's so amazing and encouraging to be part of that. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Joanne, it's been an absolute treat. I want to flag up uh, your website again, junction42.org. You would love, and uh, you know, it's definitely if your agenda coming on wasn't um, wasn't this, but my my agenda with all, week by week is I'm trying to flag up uh, beautiful stuff that Lord's doing and saying, yeah, this is absolutely worth supporting. So I'll do the ask for you. Uh, oh, I would love you. to be able to sew into seeing more people get those packs and uh, be transformed in prison. And we've had other podcasts a few weeks ago we had mark rowan who was you know converted after 10 years in prison and the police couldn't believe they just mm-hmm. could not believe it you know the crime rate went down in leeds in his area <laughs> when he was locked up and and he's gone back and and now his story is is totally redeemed so we want loads more of mark rowan's being raised up men and women uh, mm. in the prisons to be radical disciples and uh, yeah i think what they've got over us more sort of together or sophisticated people is that they don't feel the need to maintain that sort of mask or that veneer that i've got it all together and and in their in their unpolished desperation god is so real so close and that's what we need more of in the church isn't it so listen guys if you want to be in touch with joanne you can be through her website do you want to give your email or you just happy with the website yeah it's just joanne.o'connor at junction42.org 
brilliant. I've been totally inspired listening to this. I hope you have as well. So if you have, can you please uh, share this podcast with different people? Can you get them to sign up, subscribe, give us a great review on uh, Spotify, iTunes. If you want to be in touch with me, it's simongilbert.com or any of the social media platforms. In the meantime, you guys have a great week. We've got another superb guest next week. You take care. Joanne, just again, I want to say thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I've loved it. It's been brilliant. All right, you guys, see you next week. Toodaloo.